Ian Collins wants a word. <laughs> Powered by the Mitsubishi L200. Tough enough to come with a five-year, 125,000-mile warranty. Thank you, Mr Rogers. And don't forget that you next week we have the Red Arrows. Now, this evening... <laughs> The act hasn't turned up, but as you know, I've done a bit myself. <laughs> right. Ian Collins wants a word. Kev, let's do this thing. Yes, the exclusive world of the podcast beckons as we're let loose on episode 51. Since the last time, we have a new Pope. Yippee! Another batch of tabloid hacks arrested, a former DJ re-arrested, a Labour Lord suspended, several protesters cautioned, a gun-toting squaddy sent for retrial, and the biggest blow of all, well, since that video of Talisa was released, a senior cabinet minister behind bars. Life doesn't get any better, Kev. Too much material on this one. And on the show, this. Meaty... A brand new Pope Mobile's worth of this. One of the really surprising things, we had clergy up there. You see, there he is, Professor Kevin Dutton. He's back to tell us which professions are most likely to contain psychopaths. And we'd be left quivering like Chris Hune outside the showers if we didn't give you some of this. <laughs> yep, excitement levels are absolutely peaking. Uh, here he is, the armor. <laughs> the armor. The Armadinajad of podcasting. Sideshow Kev, everybody. Wow, look at him. Look at me, everyone. Uh, Before we start, Kev, because now we've got questions. um, And comments via social media. Every now and again, something happens. Yeah. uh, What what you call a wonderful piece of serendipity. So something that, you know, really ties in with a previous episode. And last week, totally randomly, a bloke whose name escapes me. We'll call him Jock. We'll call him Jock. Emailed and said, whatever happened to Leo Sayer? And we essentially said... We don't care what happened to Leo Sayer, <laughs> so we don't bother answering that question. So imagine my shock and, frankly, amusement when I was on the train. And once in a while, you know, it's like when you've got an iPhone and whatever, you can uh, fiddle around listening on a radio app to radio stations now around the world. Yeah, so of course. There's no, there's no specific catchment area. You can be listening to a breakfast show in San Diego, drive time show in Sydney. And this had to be 3AW in Melbourne, which I used to listen to when I was over there once, so I thought, I'll see what goes on in the middle of the night on 3AW in Melbourne. Right. And just to see if it has any kind of similarities with night base radio in the United Kingdom. But imagine my shock when a fella, not sure what his name is... Probably Bruce. Actually, I think it's Alan. Oh, OK. It's, it's, it's Alan, yeah. And a woman just randomly calls up. Uh, she clearly doesn't realise, but she's answered the Leo Sayer mystery. What? I'm about to play... Because what I did, because on the TuneIn radio app, you can rewind and then record what you've just been listening to. So I thought, did she really just say that? And imagine my shock when she spilt the beans. On so You won't believe what happened to Leo Say. You ready for this? Yeah, we'll play it. Hold your phone up. Let's right. have a listen. Here we go. We went to the zoo tonight and saw Leo Sayer. Leo Sayer's Leo. in a zoo! <laughs> what? In Melbourne! So there we are, mystery solved, whoever sent that in last week, courtesy of uh, the woman in Melbourne. Well, you say mystery solved, but why is he in the zoo? Is he pretending to be an animal? Yeah. Does he still have his, like, one-man band, banjo and all that kind of thing? I don't know, I'm too young to remember him. Be great in the orangutan booth. Mum, who's that man with the tambourine on his foot? Being Roger. <laughs> By a silverback. <laughs> one-man band. <laughs> 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 
It's enough to make your hair curl. Kev, you got questions? It's questions and feedback via social media, like Facebook, uh, Voxer, Grinder, and, of course, email uh, from Jez the Brute. What job do you reckon Chris Hune has taken in jail? Fluffer. <laughs> Soap retriever. Should we get them all out of the way? Bitch, pillow biter, blah, blah, blah. Must be something, wouldn't it, going in there? His first day. Yeah. Yeah, not nice. Excuse me, Jimmy the Axe. <laughs> do you know, perchance, where the library is? Do you think he'll get shivved? I like the comment from one of his friends who said that they think prison will turn him around. Believe me, being turned around is pretty much a guarantee on (laughs) D-Winger. Well, here's hoping, eh? Yeah. He'll write a book about it and he'll make a couple of... Maybe he'll go to the zoo with Leo. Be like a weird... uh, No, (laughs) never mind. I was going to say be like some sort of primate slash politician slash 70s singer human centipede thing going on, but I'm not going to... (laughs) I like that idea. I don't want to think about it anymore. What else you got, Kev? From Pat, what's the most twisted thing a listener ever sent you? Um, I have something. What, I that I got sent? No, that I got sent. Because I got sent stuff at Talk Radio. And it was really odd because I was sent once this sheep for some reason. I had no idea why. It's an inflatable one. No, no, it was like a cuddly sheep. A little sheep thing. And it was very nice. And I had it sort of like hanging around in the studio and all that kind of thing for many weeks on end. And as I squeezed it, I discovered that the listener, the kindly old lady listener, had actually stuffed probably somewhere in the region of 150 to 200 pins in it. But I just thought it was a very strange thing to Seriously, send somebody. Somebody yeah. sent you a sheep with pins in it. Now, it could be a mistake in that she might have been a crazy old woman and thought, oh, I'll send uh, Kev this, this sheepy pin cushion and I'll put pins in it for him because, you know. So you couldn't squeeze the sheep without the pins? Oh, you could when you took all the pins out. What, did you take the pins out? Yeah, I gave them to Mike Allen. He loved pins and biscuits. Oh, and sausages. Yeah. That's a story. Should we tell that one? Nah. (laughs) We need to get a Kickstarter going if you want to hear the Mike Allen sausage story. Yeah. Because it's very funny. Yeah. Just badgerous on that. From Marvin the Martian. Uh, regarding what you were talking about last week, the things mentioned in the podcast end up being news about a week later. Do you remember we were sort of yes, touched on it? Yes, propheticness. We say something, next yeah. week something happens. Yeah. Marvin says, I think this must be true. Episode 46 was called Bring on the Dancing Horses, which means I hold you two twats solely responsible for that f***ing <laughs> dancing Shetland pony advert on the telly that arrived two weeks later. Do you not like the dancing Shetland pony? No. I don't like it, but I have noticed... That is the kind of thing that people, uh, which is probably why they did it, take to Twitter and say, you know, isn't it fantastic, the dancing pony? You sort of feel like the dancing pony was done maybe ten years ago. That's exactly it. It feels like it's a very old idea. Hofmeister bear and onwards, you know, all that kind of animal movement shit has been done to death. Mushy Pete says, hearty congratulations to Jim Bowen on his new job as Pope. Well, it would work a treat, wouldn't it, when he was on the, you know, on the balcony. And the crowds were going mad, and he wanted to silence them. Great, smashing. It's your new pulp. Look at what you could have had. And he points to one of the old cardinals <laughs> that didn't get the job. Angry-looking cardinal. I would have got it the job if it wasn't for you meddling a ball with that man. Super smashing. <laughs> Lovely. Where's me at? From Nick, the King of Diamonds. <laughs> this is a long one. Audrey, uh, play some sh- music for this email. Nick says, I saw you talking on Twitter to a guy about mistaking a pregnant woman for someone who just happens to be a little overweight. That's right, last week, yeah. Just before last Christmas, I gave up my seat to a woman who I assumed was a good eight months into pregnancy. It was the worst thing I could have done. Instantly, her face morphed into that of unequivocal disgust as she set about berating me for making such a crass, 
and insensitive suggestion. She scolded me like a 13-year-old caught with his first cigarette. Other passengers looked bemused as my public bollocking continued for a good five minutes. All of this might have been fine had it not been for her final comment. Just as I got up to leave, she said, As it happens, I am pregnant, but it's not for you to make that judgment. (laughs) Myself and others looked on aghast as she said this. I left the train with a tad less faith in decorum and manners than I had before. What's a man to do? It is close call. It's very difficult, but that's why in, in London they have the baby on board badges, which I think does help. The last time it happened to me, actually, the baby on board badge saved my bacon rip because, you know, I... You really... managed to get a seat because you were wearing it. Yes, every single time. Excuse me, let me through. Medical curiosity coming into the carriage. Yes, I, no, I, I looked up and saw somebody who I thought was possibly pregnant, and then when they turned around a bit, they had the badge on. Yeah. Because it is a close call. It's a close call with anybody now offering a seat, unless it's somebody really, really old. Just listen to things and read your paper and pretend not to notice. Is that what it is? Yeah, it's the easiest way. Good call. Uh, If you've got any questions you'd like to send to us, uh, it's uh, kevatwantsaword.com, ianatwantsaword.com of whatever. They don't have to be quite, they can be stories. A bit shorter than the last one, if you wouldn't mind, but... uh... Yeah, we don't mind. Well, that's all right, yeah. Stories, uh, anecdotes, tales, pointers, Leo Sayer sightings. All we want you to do is reach out and touch us. Not good to say that in broadcasting these days. No, or podcasting. We have Professor Kevin Dutton joining us in a little bit. Worldwide expert on psychopaths. And just looking at some of the things that have been in the news in all manner of areas. Uh, which, which profession do you suppose is the most psychopathic? Mr Dutton is the man who knows. He's with us later. We've also got this. Now ah! we get very excited when we hear that little scream because it means it's random acts of irrational annoyance, those microscopic, some might say insignificant, many might say don't really matter mate, jog on type things in life that rile you up the wrong way Spiral? Send your head into a 360 Spiral? A bit of a spiral yes, in the cranial department ah. They drive you nuts, they don't really matter they're irrational but they still annoy you they're random acts of irrational annoyance We've got a beautiful list sent in here Kev but you want to start us off with one? I have two in oh, fact yeah. The first one Richard Gurley Drew. Richard Gurley Drew. You know who that is? No. Let me tell you, he was born on June the 22nd, okay. 1899. He died on the 14th of December, 1980. He had a good long life. And during his good long life... He invented something, didn't he? He invented sellotape. Oh, did he? Sticky tape, yeah. He, he was the guy who invented sticky tape. Okay. Which means he also invented the problem of having to search for the end of the reel... By feeling, or scraping with your nail, or licking it. What a cack-wack! Oops! <laughs> In nearly 100 years, nobody... I mean, they've tried with little plastic wedges and little metal things, but nobody has managed to adequately solve this problem. Well, unless you buy a dispenser. Not everyone has a dispenser like you, Mr. Ladida. That's true. That Sometimes is true. they just have a roll of sticky tape, and it takes ages to find the end. Well, Think also... Of- it's the waste. Yes, it's the waste and the lost man hours yeah. that go into... If you think Looking the, for the end. At the end of your life, if you think how much time you took trying to find the f***ing end of a bit of <laughs> sticky tape to wrap up your grand's present at Christmas, yeah. no exaggeration, I think it probably adds up to about 16 years of your life. I reckon also the amount of tape that is wasted, because I did the thing with the parcel tape, that I'd send a parcel and pulling the thing off, and it kind of did the thing of splitting in two as it went around, and you think, because you take the risk, don't you? You say, it started to split in two. Yeah. I've got two options here. One is to look for the other bit, 
so that I can gradually get that to meet the split. Or I can do what never ever works, but I always hope it will. Just keep ripping it in the hope that it will somehow right itself. Yeah. How many rotations do you go through before? About 16. Yeah. And eventually, when you have no tape left, you finally get to the end. And the other one is, and this annoys me, I don't know if it annoys you, you might not get this, but just people in the street who stare at me for no reason and then start furiously rubbing their groin area and licking their lips. It's so annoying. I'm sure I can't be the only one. Call the police, somebody. Do you want a couple here, Kev? All right. What you mean, aside from blokes in gyms wearing bandanas, <laughs> other than that, that uh, peculiar yeah. group of people, uh, I'm going for computer support service folk who speak in technical jargon, assuming you already know lots about technical jargon. So you call up. Say, uh, you, you ring the number, and you eventually, after pressing one, press two for this, three for that. For, you eventually get through and say, uh, my computer doesn't work. And some bloke goes, uh, have you tried your diodes? Have I what? Yeah. Any fragmentation showing in your backup transformers? What the <laughs> f- does that mean? I've got no idea. Is your lead oscillator plugged in? I don't know. Have you tried reversing the polarity of the neutron flow? What, what's your opto-magnetron reading like? <laughs> I don't f- <laughs> know. Stop treating me as if I'm Babbage! <laughs> How's your RAM? F*** off! <laughs> Send me a JPEG. JPEG, MPEG, Simon Peg! We don't know what this means! <laughs> Simon Peg! Just so, yeah, I know what a photo is, I know what an attachment is, I can turn it on. That's why I'm calling you, Bozo. Andy Coates says people under the age of 50 who lick their finger to turn a page of a newspaper. But where do you stand on carrier bags? Sometimes... What? Well, I'm not saying stand on a carrier bag. Although, didn't they years ago say that, in theory, it can hold the weight of an average human? So if you stood... I, think, I mean, obviously, you would topple over, but if yeah. you stood in a carrier bag, someone could pick you up uh, without it breaking. Believe me, the ones you get down the cost cutter will never, ever well, do that. This is exactly it. With carrier Don't even bags, carry my potatoes, to be honest. With carrier bags, sometimes a little bit of leakage is necessary to separate them, which oh, is disgusting, yeah, but I don't... Well, that kind of makes some sense. Yeah. Yeah, some spittle on that. Stuart Bags, not that one. When a husband and wife like each other's status on Facebook, or worse, when they just comment on each other's status when they are sitting in the same room next to each other. My brother does that all the time. Does he? Yeah. Steve Holden says people texting while you're having a conversation with them. That's quite common, isn't it? And very, very annoying. May Swire says any adult playing computer games on a train, surely there is a point where you realise that shooting aliens or playing war games in whatever form is something you must stop doing when you reach the age of about ten. No. Kev. No, no, absolutely not. Why not? not? Because you're missing out on one of life's great joys. You don't go down the road playing (laughs) (laughs) shooting people, do you? Yes, I do. You've seen me in the street. All right, you do, but you are an exception to the rule. Yeah, that's probably why people are rubbing themselves at me. So say you were taking part in a documentary where they have those kind of talking heads where they get, um, you know, different people to comment on on things. Because I've done a few of these things. You're in a dark room, there's a spotlight on you, and it cuts from one person to the other with their opinions on things. And somebody said, what specifically is the attraction with gaming? What would be your, your answer to that? I get to be Batman. This is from the loon in Hatfield. It says, that girl Chloe from The Only Way is Essex, the one with nipples like nunchucks. (laughs) How did this person become a sex symbol? Uh, We know not of who you speak, but um, Geordie Shaw is something I sometimes uh, get a a glimpse of in the closing title because of something I watch afterwards. Of course. Well, I had to review it once, and this girl 
essentially comes that they're all I think staying in a house somewhere and this girl comes in she goes why I'm busting for a shag man <laughs> and another guy goes aye me too pet I can right do with a f- were uh, you Welsh yes <laughs> stop it and off they go up the stairs and the camera sort of follows them and they get under a quilt and <whistles> takes whatever's going on and the camera is kind of there and I remember thinking what would her mum and dad think. Yeah. But I didn't have to worry about that for very long. Next shot, her mum and dad. She's a right party lass, I know. <laughs> What's gone wrong with the world? <laughs> They're all involved. Give people a little taste and a, a little encounter with their Andy Warhol 15 minutes and they will bite your hand off. And if that includes watching your daughter get <laughs> in a bed on MTV, <laughs> so be it. <laughs> This comes from the Outlander man who says, anyone who cuts their grass at 8am on a Sunday morning, yep. who the hell thinks that's okay? I think any time before about 11, I would say. Yep. Manny the man says, the Jehovah's Witness who said, death to you when I refused his leaflet at my own front door. Is this the way to my godly heart? Doesn't seem very charitable. Death to you. It's not nice. Uh, Keith Lemon is back uh, tweeting us. How nice. Uh, he says, Marmite and peanut butter sarnies. Who eats this shit? Well, what kind of peanut butter? Oh, never mind. LeBeuf in Swansea says, Marsupials. <laughs> Who do these pouch-bearing swines think they are? All smug with their big baggy pockets. No coincidence that most of them are in Australia. I used to think when I was a kid that Australians had a big pouch. But I actually thought people, the, the people did. You were an idiot. Well, I was five. You were an idiot five-year-old. I don't think people have pouches. Well, I did go out with an Aussie girl some years later, and mm, I wasn't quite wrong. <laughs> yeah, but your uh, pouch-based mammals are somewhat peculiar. They are, and especially those little joeys. Joey says, no, not that sort. <laughs> the little, um, little because they cr- crawl back in, don't they, when they're still quite big. Yeah. So you think, that is never going to get in there. And then they kind of, they, they duck and they dive, and in they go, and they... Move the old sack about and feet in, hanging out. It all looks a bit clumsy, and then suddenly, you know, uh, <laughs> up pops a little head, and it, it yeah. all looks rather unique. But if I was the mother of that age, I'd just say, son, f*** <laughs> off. <laughs> Get yourself a girlfriend, <laughs> you bouncing bastard. Yeah. I'm off to Leo <laughs> Sayer. <laughs> we are moving on to something more intellectual. We, no, we're not. So there's nothing intellectual in this podcast. No. I almost forgot. Professor Kevin Dutton is on his way. As is this. The Mitsubishi L200 comes with a 125,000-mile five-year warranty. In fact, if you bought an L200 today, it would last roughly five years longer than a politician's promise. For more info on the Mitsubishi L200, visit your local dealer. The Mitsubishi L200. No environment too tough. Sideshow Kev's Showbiz Shoebox. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, it's time for Professor Kevin Dutton. Well, I'm afraid you're going to have to wait, everybody, just for a few more minutes, just while we get through this dross. It's Sideshow Kev's cat flap of flat battery. With an intellectually superior Kev in, might I add. Is that right? Oh, yes. Well, as in you. Well, of course. Yes. Who do you think I meant? Well, not even going there, Kev. It's Sideshow Kev's showbiz shoebox. Our weekly look at the box of showbiz huh? we find under the bed. Now, this week, we begin... With an email from Simon Hodgman. Audrey, give me some. Simon Hodgman has written a reasonable email music. Music. Simon says, touch your nose. He also says, hello, Psycho Ken. Here's a shoebox suggestion for you. Stop it. 
<laughs> Arsehole. Also, there's some really f***ed up names in the Star Wars movies. How about something exploring the complexity and depth? Good idea. Right. So with that in mind, it's time to play George Lucas. What the f*** were you thinking? Audrey, give me some George Lucas has a strange beard and face. Thank God Disney have got it, because they can't possibly f*** it up any worse than he did. <laughs> Very simply, in Collins, you'll hear the names of three Star Wars characters, but only one is an actual character. The rest are made up. Find the real one. Okay. Got it? Yep. Number one. Chewbacca. Number one. Find the actual Star Wars character. Is it A, Boosh, B, Fafly and Lombar, or C, Cunch, Backpomp? It's A. Boosh. Boosh. The correct answer. Tell me about Boosh. Oh, what can you say? Do you like Boosh? Yeah. Oh, stop it. Number two. Find the actual Star Wars character. Is it A. Raylon Cathartic? B. Davin Self? Or C. This is a droid. Bendy Dildo? Well, I don't know what a droid is for a start. So I'm going uh, B. Davin Self? Yeah. It's the correct answer. I got two out of two, Kev. He was a stormtrooper who said, Look, sir, droids. Number three. Find the actual Star Wars character. Is it A. Poontang. B. Drop Cun Ton. Or C. Salacious Crumb. Oh, it's got to be C. Correct answer. You're hiding something here. You're yeah. cheating. You're a Star Wars fan, aren't you? Come on, admit it. I right was now the on the podcast. I bang my head. That's all I'm saying. Number four, find the actual Star Wars character. Is it A. Wilro Hood. B. Bendo Farfazian. Or C. R. Swipe. B. Oh, it's the incorrect answer. Say, isn't it? It's Will Rowhood. Finally, number five. Find the actual Star so Wars. It's number five, so this means this feature is nearly over. Yeah. Fantastic. You just made a little boy cry and a kitten get killed by a bulldozer. Find the actual Star Wars character. Is it A. Meaty Horsey? B. Admiral Ankle Flange? Or C. Danic Jericho? Oh, it's C. Danic Jericho from The Empire Strikes Back. Four out of five. Who are you? <laughs> That's the showbiz shoebox for this week. Uh, if you've got any top ideas like that, like uh, what's-his-face sent in, yep. brilliant. Keep them to yourself. Or if you've got a good one, you can email me, kev at onceword.com. Follow me on Twitter at sideshow underscore kev. Send me some abuse there if you want. It's much like I get with Collins in the first place. Ah, so. shut up. <laughs> Ian Collins wants a word. Right, we thought it only polite, Kev, to lob in uh, a very brief Daily Mail message board mood monitor. Oh. Uh, this is where we look at stories on the world's busiest news website. It is the, uh, the Daily Mail, and uh, it's not the stories particularly we're interested in. They are merely a catalyst for this feature. It is the comments and the message board that is below the story that is always slightly more fascinating. Yes. Now, this week, the story uh, is that of, uh, it says, Question Time Stooge is the story. How the Labour Party planted a die-hard supporter in the BBC audience to attack UKIP panellist on debate show. Labour activist Amy Rutland, 23, attacked UKIP candidate on Question Time. The politics graduate called UKIP Eastleigh candidate Diane James. Disgusting. Accusations she was a Labour Party plant deliberately given airtime by the BBC. The Beeb received dozens of complaints. So that's the story. Now, okay. this already falls down at a bunch of levels. 
I mean, you have to have some view if you sit in the Question Time audience, don't you? I would think so. And I don't, I'm not aware that you can't belong or be a member of a party. No. So whoever's in the audience has a view of some sort. Of course. Yeah. However, this uh, girl, Amy Rutland, I saw the episode, though I didn't think gave the UKIP woman a particularly hard time, but she made her points known. A lot of very angry people on the Daily Mail message board really? after this. Yeah. Like, for example, Moorish225, who simply says, Slag! <laughs> Nice. That could be a character from Star Wars. Beatnecks says more left-wing bias from the British Bias Corporation. Oh. See what he did there. Stunning work. Mannequin says the BBC are full of reds. Why do you think they call it Red Nose Day? Is he serious? <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, Faith in the machine. People like her disgust me. Have they never heard of freedom of speech? She should keep quiet in the future. Brilliant. Yep. And then, That's, still getting annoyed... Yeah. This is brilliant. Moorish 225 comes back. Oh, good. Slag! (laughs) (laughs) He loved it. Uh, We'll have a look at another one of those next week. It is the Daily Mail message board mood monitor. If there's any particular ones you uh, you spot. You've got to trawl through them, though, because some of them do spawn just thousands of comments. So it's just interesting to see what your fellow uh, humankind is capable of putting in the public domain. Uh, More of that. And now we go into... Now we definitely go all intellectual. When you hear the word psychopath, what do you think of? Probably some brutal serial killer who is out of his mind, right? What if I told you that psychopaths can function at extremely high levels and succeed in all levels of society? If you think that psychopathic tendencies and success have nothing in common, then everything you know is wrong. So, Kev, I promised you that we would get to the bottom of the psychopath thing. Yeah. Because they are everywhere. Everywhere. All over the place. There's only one man who knows. He's a worldwide authority on this issue. Uh, Not only uh, studies, lectures, written books on it, uh, appears on TV, radio, all over the globe. He is, of course, our mate. He's back. Professor (laughs) Kevin Dutton is here. How are you, Kev? I'm fine, Ian. How are you, mate? We're as good as gold at this thing, Kevin. And obviously, you know, with a a high-profile senior politician, former cabinet minister, going to the chiller... We thought, well, clear. does this mean psychopathic tendencies? Is that a world in particular that a higher proportion of psychopaths would lurk? Well, you know what, Ian? I mean, you've, you've, put your, you've put your finger right on it there, mate. I mean, whenever most people hear the word psychopath, it's images of Ted Bundy and Patrick Bateman that flash across their minds. Um, but actually, the reality is a bit different in kind of stark contrast to the, the headline-grabbing sound bites thrown out by the media and the film industry. Uh, when psychologists like myself use the word psychopath, we're actually referring to a specific group of individuals with a distinct subset of personality characteristics such as uh, ruthlessness, fearlessness, self-confidence, focus, coolness under pressure, uh, mental toughness, charm, charisma, uh, and of course those uh, those signature deficits uh, as it it were in in empathy and conscience. Now, if you think of these personality traits uh, as being the dials on a studio mixing desk which may be twiddled up and down in various combinations, you arrive at two conclusions, Ian. The first is that there's no one single definitive correct setting uh, at which these dials may be positioned, but rather that the kind of the golden configuration, as it were, will invariably depend on context, on the particular set of circumstances that you happen to find yourself in. Now, the second conclusion is that by that same logic, there will be various jobs and professions that by their very nature demand that some of these mixing desk dials are cranked up a little higher than average, that demand a degree of what uh, I call in my book 
precision engineered psychopathy. Now, if we take politics, if we take um, the, the, the average kinds of um, personality traits that you might find um, in politicians across the board, well, you think about it, you know, you've got to be uh, pretty, pretty mentally tough uh, if you're a politician, no, no matter how popular you might be, you're not always going to have people saying good things about you, something uh, which Chris Hewn has, uh, has discovered very recently. Um, what you've also got, you've got to be pretty self-confident to run for office. You've got to be pretty fearless in the terms of some, uh, you know, mighty tough calls that you might have to make. Anything from the threat of a rogue dictator to um, natural disasters that we saw over in, uh, you know, the eastern seaboard of America last yep. year with the hurricane. Uh, you've got to be manipulative. You've got to be a little bit of a schemer. You've got to be able to fake empathy, even if you don't feel it a lot of the time. Um, and you've also, in, in high-level politics, you've got got to be able to be focused, to be cool under pressure, um, and to kind of delay a little bit of the instant gratification in order to kind of work towards a long-term goal, have that kind of laser focus. Now, all those things that I've told you, throw in the charm and charisma, they are all uh, personality characteristics, core characteristics of what we call psychopaths. And I think you can see that, you know, in politics, uh, those kinds of things can be very valuable. You see, well, I, I followed that Chris Hume, Vicky Price uh, trial like bloody Columbo, Kev. Honestly, I was I was right in there on this one. Every, every aspect of it, I'd read all the, the letters and the text and all manner of things. So I'd already I knew, and I think a lot of people already knew, and particularly if you work around Westminster, you know, this guy's clearly a bit of a dodgepot. However, what really tipped it for me is that he gave an interview the day before he he knew he was going to be imprisoned and the calmest of men went on national tv uh, as if butter wouldn't melt and uh, whilst not trying to excuse what he'd done he was kind of saying sorry but not saying sorry and he looked super smooth super calm it was uh, it reminded me of Hannibal Lecter obviously I'm not suggesting he's <laughs> eaten any brains or anything but he but, but he seemed to have that same veneer of what I suppose you could only describe as really uber confidence. Well, absolutely. Let me give you an example. You, you compare Chris Hewn to, uh, to Hannibal Lecter. I'm going to go one better than that, Ian. I'm going to compare Chris Hewn to my own father, uh, who was, uh, looking back on it, a nailed-down psychopath. Yep. It seems a very, very funny thing to say. He was a market trader. He, uh, he, he was a violent guy, but then obviously one of the things that I, I lay out in the book is that you don't have to be violent to be a psychopath. Uh, my old man was, as I was saying, he was ruthless, he was pretty fearless, but the thing which marked him out more than anything um, was this uber self-confidence that he, that, that, that he kind of tended to exude. And I'll give you a, a, a story which always sums him up. Um, remember, he was, I was telling you he was a market trader. He, was, um, you know, he, was even, he even looked like Del Boy, actually. I mean, a lot of people say, uh, you know, remark on the, uh, yeah. on the similarity. But um, he, uh, he really could have. He could have sold shaving cream to the Taliban, is the way I described him. <laughs> he could have sold anything to anyone, mate. But there was one time, I must have been about nine or ten, and uh, my old man had taken me out for uh, an Indian meal. Uh, and anyway, he was just about to pay the bill, uh, and he suddenly gets to his feet and he makes an impromptu speech. He tinkles his spoon against the glass, and the entire restaurant goes quiet. And the old man goes on, remember this as clear as day, he goes, I'd just like to thank everyone for coming. Um, uh, you know, I know that some of you have come from a little bit further uh, afield, and some of you have come just around the corner, but you're all equally welcome. Oh, and there's a boozer across the road, and, um, you know, it'd be great to see you in there. There'll be a little drinks reception, at which point he started a clap. Now, of course, 
the entire restaurant followed suit, didn't they? And because you've got an entire restaurant of people who've never seen us before, never seen each other before, all applauding wildly because they don't want to be seen as the gatecrasher to the party. So as we go now, I always remember, I was only about nine or ten, I remember saying to me, Dad, Dad, we're not really going to the pub, are we? And he goes, of course we're not, son. He said, but you know what that lot are? My mate Malcolm has just taken over as landlord. He'll make a few quid tonight. <laughs> and he sauntered <laughs> off down the road without a care in the world, without batting an eye. Now, that is the uber-confidence that you were just talking about with Chris Hewn there. But, you know, that's, that's exactly the kinds yeah. of personality traits um, that you get in, in, in psychopathic individuals where you're high on the psychopathic spectrum. But you can see in various professions, this is where it's key, in, in various professions, mate, in various contexts, these traits, these dials on the mixing desk, if they're turned up a little bit higher than the average, can actually predispose you to some pretty great success. See, we'll, we'll, we'll have a look at a couple of professions then, Kevin. I always think newspaper editors could well be up there. Would that make sense? Oh, yeah. Look, in 2011, a couple of years ago, um, I launched um, something called the Great British Psychopath Survey. Now, the survey uh, is unique. It was the first of its kind, Ian. Um, to assess the uh, prevalence of psychopathic traits across an entire national workforce. Now, what happened was people were directed onto my website where they completed a special psychometric uh, test um, of psychopathy within the general population. Uh, but that wasn't all. They also entered their employment details, okay? So what I wanted to know was what was the UK's most psychopathic profession? Uh. Well, the results were a real eye-opener, mate. I can tell you, number one, probably... Uh, no surprise with CEOs, um, you know, c c captains of industry, those kind of things. Um, number two, I have to say, and this will wipe a smile off your face, mate, was radio and TV. Stop it. Yeah, radio and TV. Yeah, uh, yeah they were also uh, on the list. We had lawyers. Uh, I mean, we when you say, ra I mean, when I think of people who work in radio TV, I usually think <laughs> before I think psychopaths, to be honest, Kev. Well, what is a technical term, mate. You know, I'm, uh, I'm trying to dumb things down here, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we also had uh, we also had surgeons, we had lawyers. Uh, one of the really surprising things, uh, also rather topical, uh, of course, Ian. Uh, we had clergy up there. No. Uh, clergy were, I think, about number off the top of my head, mate, about number eight or nine. How's that happen? Well, it's interesting because at the time I thought, well, you know, that's a bit of a shocker. But actually, when I started reflecting on and talking to you know some of my uh, my my colleagues about it, it wasn't a big surprise at all because what you find is that psychopaths tend to do very well um, in scenarios where there is um, an organisational hierarchy, a power dynamic, uh, where they can uh, manipulate and control and wield power. Now, to put it crudely, Ian, the church is really no different uh, on that basis to any other business. So, uh, so you're actually, a kind of psychopath within the profession rather than to the greater world? Absolutely right, yes. Gotcha. So it's, we're talking about contextual... We're talking about localised psychopathy Sure, here. sure. Uh, listen, Kev, this is fascinating stuff. I, I know we're going to be speaking again on this in the future. Just tell us a little bit about your book. I know it's out there now. It flies off the shelf wherever it's sold. The current one, because you've, you've got a couple out there, haven't you? Yeah. Uh, the first book was uh, was called Flipnosis, where yeah. I um, I um, did my, uh, my doctorate all those years ago in social influence and persuasion. I wanted to uh, basically um, find out who knew more about the science of persuasion, me, uh, or some of the world's top con artists. So I hung out with some of the world's top con artists for uh, a little while, both uh, here in the UK and across the pond in the US. I won't give it away, but it was um, it was a pretty good competition. It was yeah, a, yeah. Uh, it was uh, it was pretty neck and neck. There was a chapter in that book called Natural Born Persuaders. I was basically writing about psychopaths. A lot of these con men mm. who I spent time with 
were psychopathic. They weren't violent, but they were uh, particularly ruthless uh, and fearless and charming individuals. And, uh, of course, uh, what happened when I did the PR for the book, uh, you know, a lot of people said, well, actually, this could be a book in itself. Uh, this chapter could be a book in itself. So I expanded it out to uh, uh, basically um, produce a second book, which is out at the moment, called The Wisdom of Psychopaths, Lessons in Life from Saints, Spies, and Serial Killers. Yeah. Now, it's funny, I, I always say this, and I wrote the book primarily, mate, to, I suppose, to dispel two deep-seated myths that people have about psychopaths. Firstly, uh, that they're either all mad or bad, and secondly, uh, that psychopathy is an all-or-nothing affair. You're either a psychopath or you're not. And the analogy I always use uh, to explain this um, is this. Imagine that um, a Martian comes to Earth, and the first thing they do is they get a job in a medical unit dedicated exclusively to the treatment of sun-related problems. So you've got people in there with melanomas, sunburn, heat stroke, dehydration, all those kind of bad things you get from the sun. Now, immediately the Martian would think, well, the sun is bad, let's ban the sun. But of course, we know that the sun ain't bad. We know that the sun can be bad if we're exposed to it in large doses, but that actually at weaker doses uh, and with more uh, controlled levels of exposure, the sun don't just make us look better and feel better. Without it, we wouldn't be here at all. Now, in the book, uh, and this is why I wrote it, I make exactly the same argument about psychopathy. Yeah. If you lie out in it day after day, you and the people around you are going to get badly burned. You'll have what we call a, uh, a cancer of the personality. But with regulated exposure, uh, psychopathy can have intrinsic benefits. At, at high levels, sure, personality is, uh, psychopathy is personality cancer. But at low levels, uh, as I write in the book, it's personality with a tan. So remind everybody again, Kev, the book is called... Look, it's called The Wisdom of Psychopaths, Lessons in Life from Saints, Spies and Serial Killers. And the inter- normally we, we say to our guests, you know, tell us about what you're up to. You, you're up to so many things, but most of them, uh, including something that we're going to be doing together in the future, you, you, you can't really mention, can you? There's always be those, uh, those, uh, those nice experiments that uh, kind of um, explain what's going on in the world. Listen, Kev, it's always great to get you on with us. And thank you again, everybody. Professor Kevin, that's the other side of the podcast. Credit stream. And in the words of Pope Francis, hic clusula est podcastos, or that is the end of this podcast. We are, of course, back next week. Thanks to you for downloading. If you like what we do and want to help support this podcast, make sure you leave us a nice five-star review at iTunes. Android users can try us on the free Stitcher app or download at stitcher.com slash once a word. Thanks to all of our guests. All can be followed on Twitter, as can we, at Ian Collins UK. The in-show feature and sponsor music is by Kevin McLeod. His website, incompetech.com. The show's technical operator is Andre Porch. The programme is edited by Joe Marshall. Our researcher was Duke the Dumpster Drossy. And today's chunky fact comes courtesy of Vicky Price in Holloway, who tells us that if you sprinkled her ex-husband with fairy dust, gave him Gandhi's face and injected him with the DNA of Mother Teresa, he'd still be an utter... Quack, quack, oops. And as ever, the in-show catering is provided by Abdul's Coffee Shack. We're back next week with an episode already being loosely billed as the one Piers Morgan doesn't want you to hear. Until then, goodbye. A Big Things Media Production. <laughs> Big Things! Ian Collins wants a word. <laughs> Powered by the Mitsubishi L200. With a five-year, 125,000-mile warranty that'll last longer than most governments. I love wasteland In San Francisco Beyond the blue and wind is <laughs>
Your golden sun will shine for 